find where the sun never shines. You'll shiver when the cold wind blows. There's a grave in the pine where the sun never shines. There's a grave that's shaded with the pine. On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? I think I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Good. And we hope that you, queens, kings, and folks, and however you might identify, all the returning fans. The fans. All the returning fans. The family members. Yes, the family members. We hope that you are all well as well. We do. And we welcome you back here to the shenanigans and tomfoolery that we call... Beastly Queens Podcast. (laughs) That is correct. And remind everybody, Ashley, what is it that we do here? I think that we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. You know what? I read that somewhere. I read that Yeah, that that sounds correct. It resonates with me a little bit. Yeah, that sounds familiar. All right. So welcome back, everybody. And are we doing something special this week? We are. I was going to say. But I think we always say that, don't we? Something special. It's always special. I I realized recently how often I say that I'm excited about this. (laughs) I think that's just our general openers. We're like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this. We're doing something special this week. Yeah. But I think that just goes to illustrate our enthusiasm. That's what I was going to say. Exactly that word. And passion for what Mm -hmm. it is that we're doing here and uh, the fact that we're choosing things that matter to us. Yeah, that we are excited about every week. (laughs) Absolutely. So should we just do like a quick rainbow star? Because I feel like this might end up being a little bit of a lengthier episode. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll jump into a rainbow star. Uh, Just a reminder for anybody who's unfamiliar, if this is your first time listening to the Queens, we do what we refer to as a rainbow star rainbow because we're queens and queers. Uh, star because we're giving shout outs, thank yous, making acknowledgements or announcements and offering recommendations. So we're getting through that pretty quickly this week. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll combine sure. shout outs and thank yous. I just want to shout out and give thanks to two separate podcasts. The Core Extra mm-hmm. podcast, which is another Cincinnati-based podcast. Yeah. They gave us a lovely shout-out and a lovely rate and review on their podcast, actually. They did. Uh, recently, and we are so appreciative of that. And we would hope that our listeners would go and show them some love and attention and affections and support. And- his voice, whoever shouted us out, like, is my favorite podcast voice I think I've ever heard. <laughs> so relaxing, like, just so calming and wonderful. So thank I, you. <laughs> well, I definitely prefer it to my own. So no. it is absolutely Yeah, sometimes correct. I hear my own voice and I'm like, yeah. girl, yeah. <laughs> settle down. Yeah, well, that's how they, I've heard more than once from uh, successful podcasters. They say something to the effect of, you know that you're producing good content, like, with your podcast. If you enjoy listening mm-hmm. to your own episodes, yeah. like you enjoy listening to your own work and that will never happen to me <laughs> <laughs> because I hate listening to the sound of my yeah. own voice You're so critiquing. much. Yeah. I mean, I, I always have been that way. I will say though, when, when we've like been on a road trip or something, listening to an episode of our podcast, I it definitely like, I'm always like critiquing myself, but there are moments where like, I can just, I just like smile. Like it makes yeah. me happy, you know? So I'm like, well, hopefully it does the same for other people. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Toes crossed. Legs crossed like a lady. <laughs> like a lady. <laughs> okay. And we also wanted to give a shout out to our friend over at Planet River Podcast. Yes. For the love on his podcast as well. And or there. Mm-hmm. Their podcast. Yes. I do believe I read somewhere that the preferred pronouns there are they them. So okay. my apologies if I've misgendered. But I do believe I read that somewhere. So please check out their podcast, everybody, and show them an abundance of love and support and uh, hit that subscribe button. Yes, hit please. That subscribe button. <laughs> All right. So do we have any announcements or acknowledgements to make? I don't think other than like our special episode. Our, our special, special episode. episode. Do you want to talk about that now? Should I we? think we should. Should we? I absolutely think we should. Okay. Yes. I'm going to let, I'm going to roll that one over to you. Oh no. I did not even know how to start this. I guess. <laughs> okay. So I guess we decided that like we wanted to do something Christmas themed, right? Yes. Cause if we're looking at the calendar appropriately, which neither of us tend to do very well, but yeah. it's okay. Numbers but, and dates are hard. You guys, this is at least happening for sure in December. So there's mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Somewhere around Christmas. Yeah, it's our, because we both celebrate Christmas, it is our gift to ourselves 
So we just thought, you know, we wanted to do something Christmas themed, holiday timey. And we were kind of sitting around last week and we were like, you know, could we both find stories? Did we want to like, you know, kind of do the same story? And I just was like, you know what? Why don't we do John Benet Ramsey? Yeah, that is <laughs> definitely a true crime that we have bonded over. Yes. And it might not be necessarily LGBTQIA plus content, right. but it is what brought us together. It is what brought us together. <laughs> And we and say, Peterson, and Lacey Peterson, and we say it's our podcast. And if we want to, we can <laughs> suspend the rules. Yes, I was hoping you would yes. say that. <laughs> so we are suspending the rules for one week's time so that we might discuss the case of JonBenet Ramsey because it is one that I think we've been preparing our whole lives for. I literally, <laughs> I was on the phone with my friend Tori yesterday and I was like, I'm just having such a hard time, like coming up with what to say and what to write, because I feel like my whole true crime life has come to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's all culminated to Let's, this one episode. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Yes. So that's our announcement. Yeah. And do you have any recommendations this week? You know, actually, I do. I've been watching this show. It's like a docu-series type of show. And every episode's, you know, different, a different case. And it's called Twisted Sisters. Now, okay. truth be told, I've watched it because it was recommended for me. And I remembered that Khloe Kardashian was a producer and I'm like, it has to be good. I also love the idea that one of the Kardashian sisters produces a show about killer sisters. <laughs> <laughs> like something about that. Should just we like, be worried? I know, right? I'm like, hmm, hmm, what is she poking at? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. But in any case, yeah, that show is wild. And there's some wild stories. Like, it's not just always cases of, like, one sister gets mad at the other and kills them. Like, no. Like, I'm talking, like, two sisters murdering moms, mom murdering a sister, another sister helping. Like, crazy stories. That's crazy. And there's a case where I might cover maybe sometime in season three. So, yeah. Okay. Great. What about you? What about you? Um, Just one quick little uh, recommendation. I have recently discovered the Xander and Stone podcast. I feel like I've seen you. Did you post it? I posted. Yeah, I okay. posted about it on, I believe, the Slay Queens social media yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. give them a nice shout out. Yeah. And we are maybe working with them to, you know, at, right. at some point That's do right. something together. Yeah. But it's just a smart, fun, funny, like sexy. He's from South Africa, so he's got that really Ooh. just like panty dropper, uh -huh. like sort of accent. <laughs> It's just, I like that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show, and I highly recommend it. If our listeners enjoy our show, you yeah. will absolutely enjoy theirs as well. So give them a like, listen, and a follow, and whatever support and love you have to give. Yes, please. All right, <laughs> so let's take just a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we will talk about... I'm, like, literally, like, I like feel like my heart's fluttering. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Is it, like, a first date? <laughs> yes. Like or your wedding day. <laughs> your wedding day. That's what it is. Yeah. It's wedding day. Like, you've waited your whole life oh, God. for this. I wouldn't... <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> And we are back, 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 back again. We are. I didn't even hesitate that you time. Didn't. I just jumped right into totally it. Totally ready. Speaking of jumping into it, yes. let's talk about JonBenet Ramsey. Let's. I am for the listeners who, let me just preface with, for the listeners who I am completely mind blown by, who aren't familiar <laughs> I figure maybe just like younger case. people. No, no, no. Even though it's still pretty prevalent. No, no. It was a great suggestion that you said, I think we should, because full disclosure, Ashley and I talk outside of this podcast. <laughs> she suggested that we do like a nice recap of the case yeah. for anybody who might not be as familiar. And you need not apologize for that at all, because I've had one of our fans, one of our listeners reach out to me at one point and be like, who's that? I'm not familiar with that case. Okay, that's good. And See? I can't imagine a world in which anybody doesn't know Literally. <laughs> about I was case. I was telling Sierra, I had like one of these like docuseries on about her and it was just like this, the clip where her mom was doing the press conference. Yeah. And I was just telling Sierra, I'm like, this is nostalgia to me. Like I remember being a little kid, like in the kitchen or in the living room. Yeah. And, and remember, I remember hearing this. I remember seeing her face in this conference. Like that's just wild to me that that's like, Something that takes me back to being a child. <laughs> I remember being like 14, 15 years old and walking into grocery stores. Yes, that was a thing. Tabloids. Where like the magazines and the tabloids and everywhere. everything was just like lined with her face. And it was all 
beauty queen job. And I remember being like so young at the time, but I remember being like, if she, this little girl went missing, why are we just like honing in on the fact that she's a beauty queen? Like, can we not? (laughs) I was annoyed by that even then. So yeah. Okay. Okay. I've already prefaced it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we are once again, discussing the case of JonBenet Ramsey today. Mm -hmm. The information that I will be sharing, I got from biography.com, cnn.com. Hey, I use that one too. I figured you might. (laughs) Uh, Crimemuseum.org and rollingstone.com. I structured this. It's going to be a little bit shorter than like a normal script that I would write. Because again, this is just kind of a recap. But I structured this very much in the same way that I traditionally structure my storytelling with a nice opening that I hope intrigues you a bit, if you're not already intrigued. No, you are the best at this. All right, so <laughs> JonBenet Ramsey was an American child beauty queen and the daughter of an affluent family who was only six years old when she was murdered in her Boulder, Colorado home on December 26th of 1996. Her murder, which is still unsolved, became one of the most infamous crimes in American history. And it I, surely is. I mean, and I think... Any true crime like fan mm-hmm. has to agree to that. Yeah. And has you've at least seen the, the pictures. You've at least seen the face. Like, you yeah. know. You might not know the entire story, uh-huh. but you know the story. Totally. All right. So who was Jean Benet? Named after her father, John Bennett, as well as her mother, Patricia, also called Patsy. Jean Benet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6th of 1990, actually in Atlanta, Georgia. Family then later moved to Boulder, Colorado. Well, or they had homes in both, I guess sure, I should yeah. say. They're that sort of family, y'all. Mm-hmm. She was the younger of two children. JonBenet's older brother, Burke, was nine at the time of her death. JonBenet was an outgoing Southern girl who enjoyed being the center of attention. By the age of six, thanks to her, quote, bouncy blonde hair, poised smile, and glittery costumes, she had already won multiple pageant titles, including Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, America's Royal Miss, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. Her father, a multimillionaire businessman, and her mother, mother, who was also a former Miss Virginia 1977, doted on their daughter in every way that they could. Their luxurious home was plush, and it had everything JonBenet needed to live a very comfortable life. And I mean, if your kid's in pageants, then you better have some money. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> yeah. So seemingly the sort of family that you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. this sort of tragedy uh, to happen to. And what tragedy are we speaking of? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So what happened? On the morning of December 26th, 1996, Patsy called the police after finding a three-page ransom note left by a supposed, quote, group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction, end quote. That's so Oh, it's That's so literally weird. one of the oddest parts I of the know. entire story for me. I agree. So this supposed group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction were in fact demanding $118,000 for their daughter's safe return. Sadly, however, the girl's body was discovered in the basement later that afternoon. She was found by her father in an area of the home that had actually already been searched by investigators. JonBenet had a fractured skull. She had potentially been sexually assaulted, as indicated by some droplets of blood from an unidentified male that were found on her underwear. And she had also been strangled with a garrote, which had been made from a piece of nylon cord and one of Patsy Ramsey's paintbrushes. Mm-hmm. All right. According to the coroner's report, JonBenet's official cause of death was, quote, asphyxiation by strangulation associated with a craniocerebral trauma. And her death was actually officially classified as a homicide. So translation, in case anybody is not super familiar with true crime terms. Sure. Uh, and we've talked about what a garage is before. Yeah, but. we have. But translation, it appears as though someone attempted to choke the child to death. And then when the strangulation actually didn't kill her, they beat her over the head with a blunt object until such time that she was dead. <sighs> Additionally, the coroner would discover other physical findings suggestive of sexual assault as well as an undigested piece of pineapple in the oh, child's stomach the during autopsy. Pineapple. So put a pin, yep, like you said. The infamous pineapple. Put a pin in the infamous or infamous <laughs> piece of pineapple because we will definitely be circling back around to that, or at least I will be. Uh-huh. All right, so I'm going to touch on the investigation just very briefly, and then I'm going to let Ashley uh, talk to us a little bit more about that. 
the investigation. In the four years following JonBenet Ramsey's death, no major leads were made, although the Ramsey family themselves became the main suspects. Much of the public viewed the parents as guilty after hearing about investigation findings that did not paint them in the most innocent of lights. Examples of this would include John and Patsy giving inconsistent stories about the events leading up to their daughter's deaths. Also, the cryptic ransom note was discovered to have actually been written on paper found inside the Ramsey home. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And finally, there were also fibers found on the duct tape that had bound Jean Bonnet uh, when her body was found, which matched fibers that were also found on Patsy's clothing. And I would like to circle back around to that if we can, because there is actually a really plausible explanation for that. I'm not sure what that one is, so I want you to, yeah, Yeah. we'll definitely talk about that. In December of 1999, the Boulder Grand Jury voted actually to indict John and Patsy on charges of child abuse that resulted in their daughter's death. However, the Boulder District Attorney decided not to charge them, citing there was insufficient evidence. After the case was dropped, the Ramseys actually left Boulder to return to Atlanta, Georgia, to their other home, to escape uh, some of the media glare, and that was in 2001. Four years later, four to five years is, was the account that I read, Patsy actually died of ovarian cancer at the age of 49. John later claimed that he had lost his entire fortune after having been a multimillionaire in the 1990s and was living, you know, I suppose, a, a destitute life of just, just a mere six-figure salary. Right. Then in 2016, JonBenet Ramsey's brother, Burke, made a surprising appearance on The Dr. Phil Show, breaking his 20-year silence about the case bringing no new evidence to the story, but by many accounts, quote, creepily grinning through Dr. Phil's line of questioning that ran down the chain of events leading up to the night in question, end quote. So essentially, he went on Dr. Phil and kind of made the whole world believe that he was suspect number one. Yeah. Was that like his purpose too? Like you wonder, like, did he know that's what he was doing or what? I have to, I have to believe that he, that that wasn't his intention, Sure, but is absolutely what resulted. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what do you have for us, Ashley, with regard to the investigation? Um, I kind of just wanted to go through like a little bit of a timeline and I guess I'll kind of, let's just start off in 97, because that's like when January 3rd is when the detectives revealed that the ransom note was written from inside the house. Now I'm reading this just like kind of bullet points of like what happened in the investigation. Then we can kind of like talk about certain things. This is directly coming from biography.com though, just like their little timeline. Uh, January 6th is when school starts up again. Kids are back in school. January 8th, uh, the news comes out. There might have been a practice ransom note. Uh, February 27th, John Bonet's half-brother is questioned. That's when the alibi is re-examined, even though he was allegedly out of town when it happened. In March 7th, 1997, a handwriting analysis eliminates John, but not Patsy. So that's like, that was a huge, I guess, focus in a lot of documentaries that I've watched over the years was her basically like just being like, go back to the damn drawing board. Like it, like that's not my handwriting. And and she was, and she, I remember even her like saying that all of the pro- like professionals said that it wasn't hers. And it's like 12 different professionals said unequivocally, irrevocably, it is her handwriting. Yeah. I think the, the thing that stands out in my memory the most about the handwriting mashing Patsy's, according to the air quotes experts sure. in the field, is that they go, well, or I think Patsy's defense or her legal defense or anybody who was on Patsy's side said, well, it was actually written with like a marker. It wasn't written in pen. Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely no way you can determine whose actual handwriting it was. That doesn't make, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just thought it was a bit of... <laughs> That's a bullshit defense. There are still like definite. I mean, you can compare like every documentary out there. You can compare the the G to the G, the S to the S, like all of those. Well, it was even the wording. I think there was a wording analysis that was done and whatnot. So, yeah. But what intrigues me about that wording analysis is to me, if we're talking about that, then it points a different person as being the number one suspect, in my opinion. But we'll talk about that later because we'll talk about our own theories. You know what we well, I guess I don't necessarily think he. That's definitely what I think happened, but it's an interesting theory to me. Yeah. Not our own theories, but our favorite <laughs> yes, theories, because yeah, yeah. there are so many of them out yeah. there. Our, our favorite, yeah, what we think is the most interesting, I suppose. So March 8th, 97, the police search the Ramsey home again. April 3rd, 97, the DNA testing takes place. 
there had already been a DNA test done by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, and the secondary one was done by Maryland Cellmark Laboratories, which that came from the Denver Post. April 1997, JonBenet's parents become the prime suspects. Then on the 30th, Patsy is questioned for six and a half hours. May um, 2nd, John and Patsy speak to local media. And this was the big, like, moment where it was interesting. And, like, one thing that I watched, someone basically said that they said that she, I think that Patsy would have had better luck coming out of her house onto her porch the day after the murder and begging people to help her find her daughter. Because basically what she was saying is when they went on national television and, like, talked to the media, it did not help them at all. It did the exact opposite of help them. It just made people believe that they did it more. I remember I've read and seen some things since then, but I remember even at the time people very emphatically talking about the fact that they were cold Uh and they were seemingly unaffected and Uh they weren't emotional enough and they didn't seem genuine in even the emotional things that they said. And I don't disagree with that. Per se, because I have looked back at some of these things sure. and thought, okay, well, I have seen people whose children were in high stress situations, people who were in high stress situations because something had happened to and with their children. I work in emergency medicine. I've seen it firsthand. So my initial thought process is, yes, I would believe that these people would be reacting with a lot more emotion sure. and they wouldn't be quite as composed. Yeah. However... If being a crime queen and a true crime fan and listening to a lot of true crime, absorbing a lot of true crime, just ingesting as much true crime (laughs) as possible in, oh, essentially the entirety of my life has taught me anything, is that you never know how somebody is going to react to Mm -hmm. a tragic situation, really. Yeah. And we shouldn't judge how someone responds to tragedy and how someone mourns. Yeah, because so. people can compartmentalize. You know, things just can be... It's a big argument they had for, you know, the Lacey and Scott Peterson case. Absolutely. You know, they paid, They showed him in the media as being this cold, unfeeling, cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. But when you really think about it, he could just have issues showing emotions. You Maybe know? he's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's also a murderer. That's right. Yeah. So, so maybe Patsy and John are cold people and stern parents and maybe not emotional, like super cuddly, loving parents, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily make them murderers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So playing devil's advocate. <laughs> January 15th, 98, the Ramseys refused to do interviews with authorities. They submit their clothes at the end of January 29th. And the thing about the clothes that I thought was super interesting, too, that they bring up is she was wearing the same clothes on December 26th that she wore on Christmas the day before. Mm -hmm. And her claim was that she picked them up out of the bathtub where they had been thrown and put them back on. And she said that it was like normal that she did that all the time. But the big question is like, you guys are like rich, rich. So why would you do that? Multi-million dollar. You know, like why would you pick up? Yeah. So, you know, everyone figured, you know, she was in the same clothes from the last, the night before she stayed up all night kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I don't think I ever knew that detail. It was not something that really stayed in the, in my mind. But when I watched this, it was like an A&E documentary. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a huge point to be made. Like, she's literally wearing the same clothes as the night before. Well, now's a good time, I guess, for me to circle back to the thing about the fibers uh, yes. that matched fibers. I was wondering that if found, that had something to do with that. Okay. Fibers that were found on the duct tape that bound JonBenet's body uh-huh. matched fibers that were found on some of Patsy's clothing. Mm-hmm. Now... I think very famously, anybody who's really done any research into this case, very famously, people know that John Ramsey was told by one of the bullshit investigators that was on the scene after they had been there all day and they had searched the house and they completely compromised the crime scene. Oh, yeah. Can we just discuss the fact, just for a moment, discuss the fact that it was literally the Christmas holiday. Boulder, Colorado had all of their experienced, more experienced officers and investigators off for Christmas. Uh, so the least experienced people showed up in the initial stages of this um, that makes investigation. Sense. I didn't never consider that. Yeah. I mean, people have gone on record about it. The least experienced people showed up for the initial yeah. stages of this kidnapping and then murder investigation. Yeah. They completely compromised the scene. They let neighbors and like uh, volunteers come well, into yeah. the house and, and like search. When John found her, he just like scooped her up like she was exactly. asleep. Yeah. And now, exactly. you're, now your crime scene's completely compromised. So 
Crime scenes completely compromised. This bullshit investigator, after they've been there for the majority of the day, this bullshit investigator says that in order to give him something to do to take his mind off of what was going on, says, well, why don't you search the house again? Mm-hmm. So he goes down into the basement, an area that in theory, supposedly has already been searched. But uh, there she is. But apparently there's also like a wine cellar. That is that's off what of the his, basement. he calls it. They even said he calls it the wine cellar. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And he considered that maybe no one had searched Back that there. particular room, which, which I guess is possible. But if you were literally looking for a missing child, right. why wouldn't you open every door? That's what I'm wondering, too. So How supposedly, be? <laughs> yeah, supposedly he opens that door and there she is. He scoops her up, says nothing to anybody. He scoops her up mm-hmm. and in a panic runs upstairs with her clutched in his arms, bursts into the room where all of these volunteers and neighbors and police officers and Patsy yeah. is. And he just like lays her out on the floor. All and of his friends are there. Is, and is sobbing. Yeah. So in response to that, Patsy further compromises like any forensic or crime scene evidence by throwing herself on JonBenet's body and just like sackcloth and ashes like is sobbing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a terminology from <laughs> the Bible. It's just sobbing. So she's like wallowing all over her poor dead daughter's body. Of course. So I would think in that moment, there at least could be reasonable doubt to argue that in that moment, there could have been some transfer of fiber. Totally. So, I mean, that's that's plausible. That makes sense. That tracks. That totally Um, makes sense. Yeah, so you can't necessarily hold, in my opinion, that piece of evidence against her. Well, yeah, and can we talk about the bowl, like the bowl of pineapples that was just like sitting out? For sure. Like, um, and Patsy's like, I didn't put that there. And John's like, I didn't put that there. And it's like, well, then what? Someone just planted it there? What? Well, <laughs> the bowl of pineapple is, is heavily referenced in my favorite theory. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to talk about that now? Or you have more that you want to get into? I mean, honestly, we can just kind of go into this. Because, like, I'm just reading down this list of, like, what happened. But I feel like we're doing a pretty good job at just saying it anyway. Okay. So, realistically, I mean, we've talked about the botched crime scene. Really, the only thing that I kind of hone in on when I was kind of writing notes about this is how the media really did portray this, this family. And had they spent more time maybe with the 1600 other theories out there, maybe we still wouldn't be talking about this to this day. Yeah. Or maybe the family really did do it and they just can't get the evidence. So let's go on to your theory. Well, let's backtrack for just one moment. I feel like it would be more appropriate for me to say this before I start talking about theories. So you mentioned already, since we've been discussing this DNA evidence. Yes. Okay. So I have heard kind of two separate things with regard to the DNA evidence. And I'm curious whether or not you have as well. I have heard that there was so little DNA evidence that they were able to collect from her underwear that they explained it away by saying that it very well could have come from a male factory worker because they did identify it as male DNA. Yep, because they went they, and like bought other bags of underwear mm-hmm. from like a store and DNA tested those. Yes. And they showed DNA, which no exactly. one had ever warned them. So yes. it could have been, yeah, like you said, a factory worker. A factory them. worker who packaged That's that valid. underwear. That's valid. They were able to determine that it was male DNA, but mm-hmm. they couldn't match it to anybody known to the investigation. Yes. Right? So I've heard that. And I've also now, especially since I've kind of done some research for this particular episode today, I've also heard that they took DNA from blood droplets that were found on her underwear. Ah. I would be hard pressed to believe that a factory worker left blood Blood. droplets. Yeah, it's like what kind of DNA is it? Yeah, Yeah. so there's an inconsistency Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. in the storytelling and what we know as people outside of the investigation. Well, and we also know too, like since the 90s, blood DNA testing has gotten so much more. There are labs that do so much more. Like you can have hardly any and they can still, you know, get down in there and figure out, you know, it's not every, not everyone can do it, but there are labs that can really take hardly any blood. And so it's kind of like, yeah, you need to know what kind of DNA evidence was it then? Exactly. You know, because if it was blood then there's someone out there that can tell exactly who that person is. Well, and also if we are to believe that This DNA was found on her underwear that was simply just like epithelial tissue, right? Mm -hmm. Like skin cells. Sure. And they extracted DNA from that. I buy that that DNA wasn't necessarily placed there 
during the committing of a crime mm-hmm. or during like her murder. Sure. I yeah. buy that. Totally. I, do I buy that. Yeah. And if that DNA is not a match to anyone involved in the investigation, I buy that. I buy why. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Makes sense. But if this DNA that was found on her underwear was in fact taken from blood droplets, this little girl was found dead. Yeah. So I find it extremely hard to believe that that blood wasn't placed there during the committing of a crime. Exactly. During the committing of her murder. So whoever they matched that DNA to, I believe was the perpetrator or at least had something to do with her murder or the cover up of her murder. Mm-hmm. Right. Has to. So that's a huge discrepancy and disparity. Yeah. And I think that. If it was blood DNA that doesn't match some of the suspects, then that does exonerate them. Of course. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, There's nothing else there. Which leads me into what is kind of what I feel is the most plausible theory, the one that tracks the most for me. And this is just my opinion. I have no money. Do not sue me. (laughs) Because I know that other platforms have spoken out about this as being their theory as well. And they got sued because of it. (laughs) You're just saying you feel like this one makes the most sense. This one makes the most sense. You come up with it. Based on my research, this one makes the most sense. And in my humble opinion, that means nothing to anybody. (laughs) It's just what we're talking about. I think the brother did it. Yeah. And I feel like that is the most popular theory. And I totally get why. Like, I'm with you on this. I just have one that I feel like is super interesting that I feel like needs to be noted. It's a little newer, too. I agree. I think the brother did it. And I think the family, uh, as in the parents, helped cover it up. And this is why. Tell us why. This is why. All right. Soon after Burke Ramsey's Dr. Phil appearance, CBS aired the documentary The Case of JonBenet Ramsey. It was actually a two-part documentary that reinvestigated the evidence of the crime with a select group of FBI and forensic experts. The documentary leaned their suspicions towards Burke as close as they possibly could without making any kind of formal accusation. The CBS team set up a compelling theory. On review of Jean Benet's autopsy, forensic investigators suspect that the blow to the little girl's head was inflicted with a blunt, heavy flashlight, which could be seen in a crime scene photo sitting on top of the kitchen counter. I do remember and that. That's fam- yeah. yeah, that's yeah. kind of famous. Yeah. So they're saying, we believe that it was this type of instrument that created this injury. Mm-hmm. And we very clearly see something that matches that sitting here in the kitchen on the counter. Just right there. The morning after. And the parents are trying to say that it was like planted there. Exactly. And yeah. they're uh, saying that it was planted there. That's not ours. I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah. Furthermore, they claimed that the flashlight fit the eight and a half inch gash in the victim's skull, quote, to perfection. Oh, so they said that it yeah. was a perfect match uh, based on the autopsy report and the autopsy findings. However, no trace evidence of either Jean Benet nor Burke were found on the flashlight itself. To which I say, okay, well, it was found in the kitchen. Maybe they just cleaned it really well. Yeah. Or maybe someone was smart enough to know to like cover their hands up with a long sleeve shirt or some gloves yeah. or something, a blanket. Maybe you did, you knew not to leave fingerprints. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that they were smart enough to clean it because yeah. their theory in which I kind of agree with is sure. this. The flashlight became even more suspicious when tied to the pineapple scenario. And remember, I said put a pin in that. Yep, yep, yep. A theory that suggested Jean Benet had taken a slice of fruit from Burke's late night snack, which was found in a bowl on the dining room table. Remember that there was an undigested piece of pineapple found in Jean Benet's stomach during her autopsy. Burke, out of anger, was then led to strike his sister in the head with the flashlight that he picked up because it was nearby. Lastly, the wounds on JonBenet's back, which had previously been assumed to have come from an encounter with a stun gun, were consistent with the edges of Burke's toy train tracks, which suggested that maybe he had poked his sister's unconscious body to get a response from her after he Uh, had uh, struck her in the head. Interesting. Wait, did you ever see the documentary where they literally used a stun gun on that police officer twice to, like, prove that 
she wouldn't have been knocked unconscious by a stun gun. Like she would have had, cause he's like, I feel more energy. And the reporter's like, well, they did it with your clothes on. Maybe we should do it with your clothes off. And I'm like, they're really going to make this guy do it again. He got stunned twice. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're committing to the investigation, it really did kind of prove though, that a stun gun was probably not what was used on her. Yeah. All right, so just to recap that, and part of the reason this is so compelling is because according to, and I think this is an illustration of some of the inconsistencies in Mm -hmm. the story uh, that Patsy and John told the investigators. Yeah. Remember, they had been at a Christmas party that evening. That's right. They come home. They said they got home late. Yeah. They put the kids to bed immediately. Sure. And then they went to bed, right? There were no snacks. Nothing like that happened. Put the kids to bed immediately. All right. But this bowl of pineapple was found sitting out when the police came in and they started investigating JonBenet's disappearance. That bowl was tested for fingerprint evidence and it had Burke's fingerprints on it. I did not know that it yeah. was tested for fingerprints. Yeah. Okay, that makes so, sense. So the theory is, is that JonBenet and Burke didn't have the best of relationships and that Burke potentially had some some anger issues as a child. He was potentially a very angry child. Well, and I could see having anger issues towards, like, the beauty pageant sister who everybody pays attention to all the who, time. Who, like, literally reports, say, your mother and father just doted over. Yes. Yeah. So the theory suggests, I'm going to recap it a little bit. The theory suggests that they came home, didn't go directly to bed, that Burke uh, wanted a snack, that... He maybe made himself some pineapple or family made him some pineapple that Jean Bonnet was sitting there with him. She grabbed a piece of pineapple out of his bowl uh-huh. and he, out of anger, picked up a, this big ass maglite flashlight and hit her over the head with it. Okay. And yeah. that she became unconscious at that point. He had this toy. He walked over, poked her with it to see whether or not she was going to wake up. She did not. And then enter mom and dad. That's when a plan sets into motion. So in response to this tragedy, it's believed that John and Patsy, rather than suffering the loss of both of their children, attempted to cover up Burke's involvement in his sister's death. This would also explain why there was no evidence of an intruder in the home. This, like I said before, this would explain some of the inconsistencies in the stories that they gave. This was all would also explain why the ransom note was clearly written inside the home. And it was uh, would also explain why the garage had been made from supplies that were found within the Ramsey residence. And I made a note about the DNA, which I'd already kind of talked about. It literally explains everything. Mm-hmm. All of the investigation findings, some of the autopsy findings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It literally explains everything except the DNA evidence, if that DNA was collected from blood droplets, because again, it didn't match Burke and it didn't match anybody in the Ramsey yeah, family. Exactly. It exonerated all of them. They did say that like the DA came out what in like the 2000s and said that it wasn't someone in the family and like formally apologized to the family. I think it was in 2008. And I'm actually yeah. surprised now to see that I don't have it in my notes because I thought I had put it in my notes, but I think it was in 2008. Yeah. They said that it officially exonerated the entire Ramsey family. So like I said, that's like the big chunk where you're like, okay, there's yeah. still a question mark. There's there. still a question mark there, especially if it was taken from blood because exactly. I believe in my heart of hearts that if there was blood, blood on Blood don't her, lie. Yeah, blood don't lie. Yeah. Like, if it was just epithelial tissue, okay, sure. maybe you can explain that away. Uh-huh. But if this was blood, we blood's there know. for a reason, <laughs> yeah. and blood don't lie. Yeah, that's so true. All right. So. Do you have a theory for us? I do. I just honestly, like, I don't know if I really necessarily believe this. I just found it. I love coincidences, and this just all pieces together so well. And I don't know if it's because this woman is trying to make these pieces like she's been in jail for long enough and she just feels like she's come up with this awesome story and it makes sense. So why not run with it? What else does she have to do with her time? That's exactly (laughs) right. So did you get a chance to watch this? It was, um, okay, cool. And you know, what's funny is I actually kind of enjoyed it, but then I got onto like Reddit and people hated this documentary. Like they thought it was such, you know, I think it was just sort of like, cause it was so inconclusive. They're like, well, I just sat through a bunch of BS for no reason kind of thing. But I thought it was pretty entertaining, to say the least. So it was the one called JonBenet Ramsey, The Untold Story. And it came out in 2019. And I watched it on Hulu. And I think it was an A&E series to begin with. And then I did get some information from The Sun, because we love The Sun around here. So mine is the BDX theory. I just find it to be so interesting. It's bananas. (laughs) It's bananas, right? That's exactly what it is. Because I'm like watching this and I'm like, 
wow, wow, woo, wow. This is like different. I've yeah. never heard this before. And like some of it I have heard. There's like someone who gets brought up that we have heard of before, but yeah, here we go. Okay. So there was eventually a tip off from a convict named Bernice Johnson, who's serving 20 years for attempting to murder her ex-partner, Todd Foos. And this was what they covered in this documentary. So she claims that Todd and an accomplice have been JonBenet's killers, or could have been JonBenet's killers, and said the kidnapping for hire had been ordered by cult leader Scott Carruthers. In 1989, Bernice was living in Maryland and met Carruthers, who had formed a group called BDX. Beta Dominion Xenophilia, which he claimed was a, quote, level of U.S. intelligence 39 levels above the White House and run by aliens. Scott's. I mean, but also it kind of makes sense. Like this guy could be a little bit enough to like do something like this. Yeah. So Scott claimed that he would communicate to the mothership through cats. (laughs) That's my favorite part. I was was holding out for it. (laughs) He's like, just wait, it gets better. But wait, there's more. And recruited female members who became his sexual partners, moving them to his Maryland home, often with their children. And I really liked that the one woman who I guess I think was his first wife her actual like ex-husband, who I guess she left him for Carruthers, he actually was on this docu- documentary, which I really appreciated because you, you think if your wife left you for something like a cult leader, you would be like really upset about it. But he just honestly still seemed genuinely concerned. <laughs> like he yeah. felt bad for this woman. I mean, you, I guess you have to, at the very, very least, have concern or a sense of humor mm-hmm. about your spouse leaving you for someone that communicates with extraterrestrial beings via cats. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that he says he is an alien, too, right? <laughs> yeah. So cult expert Mark Powers suggested that he may also have been into grooming young girls, which this is such a, like, I hate to say, but like regular thing that I learn about cults, and I don't know why. We had, I guess it's like a control thing, maybe. We had heard that the daughters of families were involved in the group. I think one was 13 and he was cultivating to be a princess in the group, Mark says. Carruthers' former chauffeur, John Griffin, who was also on this documentary, he was pretty interesting to listen to. He also believed that he was a danger to the girls. Bernice, she claims that Carruthers hired Todd Foose to kidnap JonBenet and that he wrote the ransom note. The text, the, the famous ransom note says things like countermeasures and tactics, were, which were buzzwords that Carruthers had often used, you know, when addressing the cult and was signed off with the word victory, another term that he favored. It was claimed that the mysterious signature, which was SBTC, which we all know, stood for Scott Brooke Truth Carruthers, a name that he had been known to use. And that was something kind of interesting, too, because they really went and they did talk to like ex-cult members and stuff like that. And when they were presented with this information, these men were kind of like, wow, like, yeah, okay, I see that. That's totally him. And they read the note. And when they're thinking Scott Carruthers, they're like, okay, yeah, he uses so many terms like this. And the whole thing we brought up about like the group that it came from. Oh, the small. The group of beings or whatever. Faction. Like, yeah, he uses the word faction in yeah. a lot of his, like, teachings. Yeah. Like, there's a book that they go through where he uses those terms. Yeah, a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. Which is something that he would refer to as, yeah. like, his little group of people, right? Yeah, they did a really good job of reaching out to people in this this docuseries, because I watched it as well, of reaching out to people that had been involved with him with regard to, like, his cult. And also people that just had like business dealings with him yes. and saying, could you see him saying these things, doing these things, believing these things, uh, behaving in this sort of way? And in that specific context, all of those people were like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it did seem very genuine. So it does get better, too. In 2002, Carruthers was jailed for plotting to kill four people who opposed the BDX. And court documents also revealed a, quote, plot to kidnap a six-year-old girl. Carruthers denies any involvement in the murder, and a journal written by a follower places him in Maryland on Christmas Day, 1996. And they do even go talk to him for, like, a brief moment. And it's, yeah. it's kind of one of those things where, like, they literally just ask him, they're like, did you kill JonBenet Ramsey? And he goes, oh, Lord, no, or something like yeah. that. And it's like, he looks down, he doesn't want to look at, you know, I don't know. It's just like this really weird encounter. It was a really weird, unexpected, like brief encounter where it was 
obviously a man like just recording with his cell phone, yeah. catching him backing out of his driveway in his car. And yeah. he just like walked up to him and was like, did you have anything to, to do with the death of John Ramsey? It was, yeah. it was just one of those like literal, like 10 second, like awkward, like mm-hmm. encounters that made me feel strange and uncomfortable right uncomfortable yeah (laughs) like how is that someone's job Mm -hmm. so uh bernice tells robert clark that she and todd entered their daughter cinnamon into pageants in boulder (laughs) yeah her name is cinnamon i know i can't get over that either (laughs) okay true story i can't true story i have to pause you for just a moment i was literally watching this at work on my laptop with like my earbuds in and I'm sitting like watching, watching, watching. And this announcer, you know, like the guy who is like the voice of the entire episode. The narrator. The narrator. Yes. Thank you. He was talking about how they placed their daughter cinnamon in these same beauty pageants that Jean-Benet Ramsey was involved in. I fell out of my chair laughing and no disrespect. If there are any listeners out there right now who are named cinnamon who have named your child cinnamon who are like in some sort of like loving a relationship with someone whose name is cinnamon i mean no disrespect whatsoever there was just something about the way that caught me i know you just don't expect it very off guard and me too. i was like wait did i hear that right i then had to explain to my co-workers why i had fallen out of my chair laughing <laughs> at the name cinnamon so that's amazing please continue. i love that for you yeah i really do i mean they probably thought it was funny too though honestly or maybe it was one of those like you had to be there moments so, yeah, that's where they came across the Ramseys. And I'm not going to lie, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the interview with Todd Foose. Like, he was highly entertaining to me, like, when they were asking him questions about how, like, he thought he was going to come into some money and he just laughs. And they're like, why is that funny? He's like, I don't know anyone with money. Exactly. <laughs> like, me, what? He's like, look at me. Do I look like I have money? Yeah, yeah. right. Where, uh, so they came across the Ramseys at these pageants and her partner behaved oddly towards the other girls. She said, I found him leaning on a door frame where uh, some of the older girls were getting dressed. And I said, don't you think it'd be a little weird if some strange man was watching your little girls get dressed and put on makeup? She says, he started cussing, telling me I need to mind my own business. She also claims that he boasted about breaking into houses. And just before Christmas 1996, he told her he was going to come into some money. He also put a deposit on a new truck, which he couldn't afford, telling the garage to hold it until he could pay in January. Which he gets questioned about that, right, during this. And yeah. he's just kind of like, no, I never. And I don't think they could have really substantiated either because it seemed like they were going to investigate and try to find out. Yeah. But I don't think they ever found anything. So investigation into Foose led Clark to another possible suspect, Michael Helgoth, which I think we've already. I mean, I knew that name. They had already mm-hmm. kind of looked into him before. He's already been a focus of one investigation. The mechanic worked in a junkyard in Boulder, and the colleague revealed that the in the run-up to the murder, he had said that he couldn't wait until Christmas, as he and his partner were about to make fifty to $60,000 each. He also allegedly asked what it would feel like to crack a human skull. He claims his torch was his prized possession, went missing before the murder, and a large torch that did not belong to the Ramses was found in the kitchen of the house after the murder. Bernice Johnson claimed that Todd Foose had taken her to Helgoth's yard on several occasions as was on friendly terms with the staff. Helgoth did die in an apparent suicide in 1999, days after a press conference when DA Alex Hunter claimed police were closing in on the suspects. And that's the one where he's like, we know you're out there. Our list is getting shorter. It's getting shorter. And then all of a sudden Helgoth dies from an apparent suicide. A stun gun and a pair of high-tech boots were found near his body. The program asked for DNA samples from Helga's family, but they were unable to provide one. And by unable, I believe they mean they just would not provide one. Yeah. So that's something where you're like, okay, we're still questioning the stun gun thing. So maybe that's kind of null and void. But the high tech boots, you know, they traced those tracks. Right. And no one in the family has a pair of them. Yeah. He has a pair of them. Yeah. Question mark, question mark. Point of reference for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, as part of the investigation, they found a boot print outside of the Mm -hmm. Ramsey home, outside of a window that led down into the basement, Which they were claiming that's how, like, the break and entering happened. Yeah. And they determined that it was a boot print from a high-tech boot, Mm -hmm. and they claimed that the perpetrator had gotten in through that window. Which would have been really, that's kind of, I mean, in my opinion, a little bit disproven, but still, it could have happened. It could have, maybe. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't really yeah. think that. I feel like it's been pretty disproven, but I mean, there are still question marks here, right? Yeah. Like, that's why I feel like it's an interesting theory. Well, and the Ramseys also, I mean, we have to consider the fact that the Ramseys also had like gardeners and people that like that's worked fair. on their property. That's fair. Those people might have been wearing high tech boots and left a boot print outside of the home, et cetera, et cetera, Definitely. because there was no evidence that that window had been tampered with, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Exactly. And so, it could have just been like a setup. Yeah. For sure. There are just so many what ifs. Yes. There really are so many what ifs. And that's why this is one of the greatest like mysteries of our time. Of our time. (laughs) There's so many theories and they all get proven and disproven a hundred times over. That's why I guess we both say like these aren't our theories. We don't necessarily think 100% this had to have been it. It's just I thought this one was interesting. I think it's far fetched, but I think it's definitely it's almost like I felt like how we talked about with Aaron Hernandez, how it wasn't like you let the evidence lead you. It's like they were just trying to fit the evidence into this story. You are absolutely correct. And people have had a lot of fucking time on their hands when it comes to this case. It's been 20 years. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) People could have very easily, and even John, you know, he was presented with this evidence of this being a theory. And he Mm. was like, I mean, it's compelling. Like not a lot of times do people bring me evidence of things where I think it's a compelling thing, but this definitely I would look into. And that like, and this poor man, I just feel so bad that people are still interviewing him. Well, and in that whole interaction, I just kind of wanted to punch him in the face because he kept using the word compelling over and over. I know. It was kind of like, that's all he would say. He'd be like, it's compelling. It's compelling. I find it compelling. It's compelling. Yeah, let's... My drag name is compelling. You know, like, (laughs) just he just kept saying it over and over again, but... And I do feel like he's just over it at this point. Well, yeah, and I was going to say that you have to consider how many times he's been interviewed and how many times he's been asked these same questions and how many different theories he's been presented with. Yeah. I mean, I have the ability, I'm all over the place, but I do have the ability to play devil's advocate, usually for both sides. Totally. My suspicion always lies heaviest with the simplest explanations. And for me, like, I think I'm a big proponent of the brother did it and the family tried to cover it up because they had the best access to that home, to those things, to that victim. And it's, it's a pretty simple explanation. It is. Now. Sort of hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. And they can't prove it, but they can't disprove it. Yeah. And then my second favorite theory with regard to just, okay, it's one of the simplest explanations, but it kind of tracks. We can't prove it, mm-hmm. but we can't disprove it. That's true. Is the town drifter. And that's my, yeah. that's my next set of notes is the yeah. town drifter did it. Yeah. And just a little bit of background about that. Please do. Um, I was, I was actually kind of debating if I should tell this one too. So go well, ahead. Just, I, just I, do it. I went back and forth between this one and the one about the housekeeper. Have you heard the housekeeper theory? I don't know. Uh, I just so. a real like Cliff Notes version of that is they had had some issues. A female housekeeper. I forget what her name is. So Slay Queens, look it up if you're I more like interested. I vaguely remember this. Not she just... had had some like conflict with Patsy. Yes, yes. And apparently like during her employment there, she was well known to like ask for money and like for loans mm-hmm. and things like that. The theory was, is that she was working in the home when uh, Jean Ramsey got that $118,000 Christmas bonus. So she knew that they had at least that amount of money on hand. No, I literally cannot. (laughs) But she knew that he had that amount of money just like readily available and on hand. So she had access to the house, got into it, asked for that specific amount of money, like as ransom for Jean Bonnet, Uh because she knew that like that had been a bonus that he had received recently. Yeah, it's dead on that amount of money, too. Yeah, of course, like, fought or or resisted when she was trying to uh, kidnap her, and she killed her out of just, like, panic. Yeah. Um, So that's, uh, like, I went back and forth between the housekeeper theory. Oh, 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 oh. So her alibi, her alibi for the evening in question was, is, well, I was at home with my husband. Well, of course, this happened late. This happened late. Wee hours of the morning. Husband said, well, I slept on the couch that night. She slept alone in the bedroom, so he actually couldn't be her alibi no. because he couldn't verify that she was there in their home. He was asleep the entire evening. Yeah, because he was asleep, and she could have easily. Oh, I used to sneak out of the house all the time when my parents yeah. were asleep. It's but anyway, anyway, hard. anyway, I, I've yeah. gotten off on a whole tangent. I went back and forth between the housekeeper did it as my like second favorite, and the town drifter did it. Yes. Okay. But again. Simplest explanations, simple motivation that you're just complete disgusting piece of shit. So Gary Olivia was a 
year-old known sex offender living in Boulder, Colorado at the time that JonBenet Ramsey was killed. The convicted pedophile had been living in the area on and off when police allegedly found a magazine cutout of JonBenet Ramsey in his backpack. Ugh. And they found that when they apprehended him on a drug charge in 2000. He had no explanation as to why he literally had a magazine cut out of this dead little girl in his backpack. And it's not like he had multiple of these in his backpack. It was just Just her. her. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I call that suspect. Definitely. So soon after this, a high school friend of Gary's named Michael Vale stepped forward with an allegation. He claimed that not long after the murder, a distraught Gary called him up one night in the middle of the night, drunk, and confessed to having, quote, hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl bad. Michael Vale also later revealed to, I guess, In Touch magazine when he did an interview with him that he was particularly unsettled by the fact that JonBenet Ramsey was strangled with a like a homemade garrote because apparently Gary Olivia had also attempted to choke his own mother with a homemade garrote that he made out of a telephone cord. While he, too, was not a DNA match for the investigation, he was not a DNA match for whatever the DNA that was collected off of her underwear was taken from. He was, quote-unquote, cleared. Wasn't a DNA match. Sorry, I screwed that up. (laughs) Uh, Gary Olivia has actually recently been arrested and charged with two counts of sexual exploitation of a child. Yeah. So, so, it so he has sense. a history. Totally. He was in the area. He had some kind of weird fixation with this little girl. Maybe it was just after her death, but maybe it wasn't just after maybe her death. Maybe it was like we've seen killers taking newspaper clippings or whatever as their own trophies. Maybe it was like Elizabeth Smart. You yeah. know, what happened to her? Yeah. He literally lived in her town. Very similar situation. And that's why I vibe so much with this theory. Very similar situation. He literally lived in her town, had seen her out randomly in public, found out where she lived, snuck into her house, and stole her in the night. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's why that tracks for me, because it's possible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, See, this is terrible. Yeah. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. I want to know everyone else's theories, though. Yeah, let us know. You're so inclined. Let us know. Please dive into the DMs. Yes. Reach out to us on all the social media platforms, which are Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We've got our Patreon, of course. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can shoot us a Gmail. Yes. Like Wayne's Pod everywhere at gmail.com. All of it. All of it. Let us know your theories. Let us know what you think happened to JonBenet Ramsey, because unfortunately, after all of this research that we've done and all yeah. of the watching and all of the rambling we've done here today... Nobody actually knows. Well, we were talking about it earlier and we're like, you know what? Let's just start this episode because we were both just saying, I'm like, you know, do you even think that we're ever going to know? At this point, it's become such a media circus and will never not be that like, I feel like at the end of the day, they don't want us to even know if there's ever an answer. (laughs) I hate to say that and be like a conspiracy theorist or anything, but. Well, the most recent thing that I have read I've read a lot recently because I've done some research for this particular episode but yeah yeah the thing that was dated the most recently that I read with regard to the investigation is that they're with the advancements in DNA technology they're going to do more DNA testing and I think they're going to try to do the genealogy yes which has broken so many cases open. That's something they talk a lot about on like Jensen and Holes because they do all these unsolved ones and a lot of the times that's exactly what it is it's like you know, you have these three hairs that before the way that you tested it, those hairs would have been destroyed if you tested them again. Yeah. But now there's this new advancement and thank yeah. God for science and those yeah. scientists out there doing the good work because now you can test that hair in a different way and find out exactly whose it is. Well, yeah. And also we have so much more DNA to compare it to, the, like the genealogy DNA. Mm-hmm. Like they can literally go, okay, well, it's got to be a member of this family. Yep. So now that we've narrowed our investigation literally down to this small no pool relatives. of people, we can figure this out. Yeah. So like how crazy is it going to be if they actually solve this case? Yeah. Have I mentioned this on the pod, how like rapists and like offenders are putting their like genealogy into like those my heritage kind of like things trying to figure out their and they're getting caught because like they'll look on these websites who've put their dna out there and they will literally arrest people for offenses that like they didn't know who it was before and i'm like 
Wow. That's kind of amazing. Well, I know that people are getting caught because like their family members are putting their DNA out there and they're literally able to like narrow it down to such a match that they're like, this has to be a like first Uh cousin or like a brother, or this has to be a close relative of this person. Yeah. So I know that that's happening. To me, that's like the best thing to come of like those genealogy websites. For sure. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. I never considered that would be a thing, you know? Well, no, I don't think anybody did until it just started happening. And I always make the joke, like the 13 and me or whatever (laughs) they are, people are always like, would you ever want to do that? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like... I would fucking find out that I was related to, like, fucking Jeffrey Dahmer or something. That's what I'm saying, like, with my look. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to know. It's better not to know. Yeah, it's better not to know. (laughs) I do know that someone in my family did, like, their, like, immediate, and then they kind of did, like, the Myers, which were, like, my grandmother's side, my mom's side, and figured out that they were, like, all, like, bootleggers and moonshiners in Newport, Kentucky, which was hilarious because my brother just, like, slams his hand down and goes, I fucking knew we were gangsters. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> and for those of you who don't, who don't know, Newport, Kentucky was the OG Las Vegas. Look it up. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Not far from here. Yeah. I lived there. I lived yes. there for two years. I, I was there earlier. Too. I lived in Covington. So close enough, right? Yeah. For anyway, sure. Anyway. Yeah. That's All right, the end of our so show. That's we, the end. <laughs> yeah. We should cut ourselves off here. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to keep talking. Thank you all for coming back again. Yes, thank you. Uh, please like us, love us, share us, rate and review us five stars. Yeah, we did and get a new five-star review, too. Not a review, it's just a rate. So, like, yeah. thank you to that person. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, thank you to whoever gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We didn't get a review, so there wasn't a screen name associated with yes. us. So we can't thank you and shout you out specifically. But, but we, we see do you. appreciate it. We see you, <laughs> and we appreciate you, as we appreciate all you queens, kings, and folks. And we would appreciate it if you would go out and slay queens. Just not, just not each not other. Each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going away, but I won't come back on a lonesome railroad line. But I can't forget that sweet little girl who sleeps in the pines and the pines.